Well, welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. You know, I have often talked on this show about uh, having conversations with people on airplanes and and uh, in different places. And one example I've given of that is a time I was on a plane and and the guy sat down next to me and I introduced myself and he did not want to talk. Uh, but then I took out a book I was reading at the time, Five Sacred Crossings uh, by Dr. Craig Hazen. And about partway into it, the guy looked over and said, what are you reading? And that led into a conversation about the truth of Christianity. We began talking about the resurrection because one thing this book talks about is that if you're on a quest for truth uh, and you're looking at world religions, it makes the most sense to start with Christianity and provide some reasons for that. And it's a very interesting book. And and so uh, I, I wanted to have the chance to talk to Dr. Hazen. And so he was kind enough to agree and come on the podcast today. And so, Dr. Hazen, thank you so much for joining us and discussing uh, some of these apologetic questions with me and my listeners. Yeah, great to be with you, Ryan. Awesome. So uh, Dr. Hazen is joining me over Skype. So hopefully uh, that works out well and it's not breaking up too much for you guys listening. Uh, but he is the director of the MA uh, in, a, in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University, also the MA in Science and Religion. Two great programs, one that I am one semester away from graduating in. And uh, All so, right. Yeah, so Dr. Hazen, kind of what, what got you uh, into apologetics uh, and, and being at Biola? Well, you know, being in apologetics really is kind of uh, coincidental with my becoming a Christian. As a senior in high school, I was kind of the, the village atheist on my campus, you know, more of a village agnostic. And so people were gunning for me, you know, and uh, didn't really I, I just never talked to a religious person who had anything except inner feelings and, uh, you know, intuition and such that supported their religious belief. Honestly, that just didn't have a kind of a knowledge-based texture to me. It didn't sound particularly scientific, you know? Yeah. And, and so, but I was intrigued when I went to a, a church one time, and I even went forward at an altar call, almost as a spiritual experiment, and and just really uh, uh, started asking these people all the questions that I had been thinking about. And, and God bless them, they did their best. They didn't really have some stupendous answers for me. But you know what they did? They shoved into my hands you know, books and cassette tapes. Yes, it was that long ago. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the address for radio programs to listen to. So I am su I am just drinking deeply at this well of supposed Christian knowledge. And, oh, my goodness, it all gelled. It all made sense. And it just struck me that this thing is true. And so so I just became a follower of Jesus and, and haven't turned back. And. So you can see why I'd be interested in apologetics. It really has something to do with the uh, the beginning of this whole amazing journey. So I always figure there's people like me out there who need this same kind of help. Absolutely. And and that even led you to uh, – you got your PhD from UC Santa Barbara in – was it comparative religions? Yeah. So even studying just all the different world religions at a, at a much deeper level, going deeper into how do we know that Christianity is true? Yeah, you know the you know the next question, you know, the, the first question that I really wanted answered as a young Christian or as a young seeker, really, was you know, uh, gosh, you know, aren't science and Christianity at loggerheads? You know, I mean, how can you be kind of scientifically minded and believe in all this stuff? So once I had that sufficiently answered, the next big question was, what about all the other religions? I mean, that that's fascinated me from the very beginning. And so 
strangely, I ended up doing like an MA and a PhD in uh, religious studies at the University of California. And what a what a journey that was. Absolutely. And, and hopefully we'll get into some of those things that you have discovered as you begin comparing uh, religions. Um, but before we do into that, uh, before we get into that, I'd love to uh, throw out the information for those listening that they can uh, write in with their comments and questions. You can always comment on this show at contactacoffeehousequestions.com. I also wanted to encourage you to follow on social media because one of the things uh, that I love doing is being able to announce who I'm going to be interviewing. And so you have the opportunity to write in your questions uh, for that person. And then I can ask them here on the podcast. So you can follow on Facebook, the Coffeehouse Questions Facebook page, also on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at RyanPauly3. Uh, and then you can also text in those questions at 714-989-6927. Uh, but it, it was interesting, Dr. Hazen, as I posted on social media that I would be interviewing you, uh, and kind of talking about some of the things that you have discovered of world religions and, and the truth of Christianity and your book, The Five Sacred Crossings. I had one uh, Bible teacher at one of my old high schools uh, mention that he just assigned your book, Five Sacred Crossings, to all of his students. And so uh, they're actually starting off this spring semester reading Five Sacred Crossings in their Bible class. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, and so I, I think it's such a great way that you've written that story in a very engaging, but also uh, giving good information. So it was just kind of cool to hear that he was doing that with his students. Um, and then I also yeah. had uh, Claudia, who I know that you know very well. Uh, she yeah, wrote sure. in and said, uh, have you decided on the ne- on the title of your next book, and when is it coming out? Are we able <laughs> to discuss your, your this new oh. project that you're in on the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm rather than talking to you, I'm supposed to be doing the very final edits on it right now. Okay. so thanks for giving me an excuse to avoid it for a little while. (laughs) I'm glad I can help. Uh, It's a book that I never thought I'd write a book on this topic, but it's on prayer. And uh, I just noticed something that uh, a lot of times in Christians in the church I go to and all the churches I visit, they seem to be really reluctant about prayer like uh, they don't really want to ask god for things you know mm-hmm. but when i started to study the nature of prayer prayer is really about asking i mean it's about asking in a relationship and it's about asking a you know a creator god who loves us and all that uh, but people are reluctant to ask and I, i'm i'm just puzzled as to why that is especially since the scriptures are so big on asking i mean even when you uh, look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's really a set of six asks, you know, uh, and it, so read it carefully and you'll see that. So there's something very special about asking as a, a mode of communication with God. And I'm convinced that John chapter 15, verse 7 is true. <laughs> but But listen to what it says. This is amazing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for anything and it will be done for you. Now, that sounds just crazy, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, strangely, I think uh, my Christian brothers and sisters today are reluctant to really think that's true for for a number of reasons. I won't get into all of them, but one I, I found particularly potent in diverting people from that amazing promise. And that is uh, what I would call the uh, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel today. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange uh, twist in traditional Christianity where people think that uh, God really does owe us perfect health, 
uh, fabulous wealth and, uh, you know, prosperity in, in all ways. And, and I just don't find those things promised in the Bible at all. Uh, and so because they seem to cling on to verses like John 15, 7, it would be a favorite among the, uh, you know, health, wealth and prosperity gospel folks that the rest of the Christian community ignores that. But hmm. for goodness sakes, I'm not going to let them ignore it. I'm, I don't want to ignore it. It's an amazing promise. If I abide in him and if his words abide in me, I can ask for anything and I shall have it. I mean, that is a that is an amazing promise for really getting what you need to do spectacular ministry for the Lord. Yeah. And so, um, you know, kind of, you know, uh, hopefully we can kind of discuss that more later. Uh, when is this project um, going to be out? So so people can, can uh, kind of read your perspective on what how we should read this verse and how we should hold on to this promise. Well, for those uh, who are authors among your listeners, they know very well you hand it over to the publisher when you're done. And <laughs> in about eight months, it comes out. So yeah. I suspect, uh, you know, late next summer, okay. so summer of 2018, it'll probably be out and. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about it then. Yeah, perfect. Well, hopefully we can get you back on the show and discuss that topic uh, in more in depth and helping Christians rightly understand what it means to ask God for things in prayer and also not kind of commit it with a selfish way of, you know, we're just always yeah. just asking, wanting more from God. But also, well, hey, getting... I can't. Hey, yeah. Brian, I can't make him wait. I've got to give it to him right now. Let me uh, let me summarize it right now. OK, uh, I read the verse and it's uh, it's pretty clear there. But the whole context for that passage if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for anything and you shall have it. Uh, the context is fruit bearing. Okay. And so if you're interested in bearing the Lord's fruit, it's not about getting a new Cadillac or a new set of golf clubs, for goodness <laughs> sakes. Sounds nice. <laughs> Unless you need it for ministry. Maybe you have a golf ministry and you need yeah. the golf club. All right. Uh, but it's about it's about doing the Lord's work, uh, moving the ball down the field uh, for the kingdom. If you're interested in doing that, you can pretty much take this to the bank. You can ask for anything and you shall have it. So I want people, anybody listening, I want them to experiment with that and watch what the Lord does. It's, it's truly remarkable. He really does mean that. Yes, absolutely. So kind of talking about this idea of people being kind of in ministry and going out doing the Lord's work, I think, uh, you know, us in the apologetics community would understand that this is one of the big kind of important aspects of of evangelism and that's answering questions, responding to objections. Uh, but oftentimes I find that as I go speak places, people are clueless uh, and I often get the question, what is apologetics? And is that something that you also find as you go around to churches? Uh, why is this maybe a, a, a topic that the church doesn't really understand very much about and think that maybe we're just apologizing? Wow, you're really getting me started on big topics now. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me let me start out with this. Uh, normally, when I I go speak at a church or I put on a conference, uh, the churches might be attending. Um, I don't use the word apologetics because it's uh, it's just not known. It's an ancient word. It's a little bit out of date. You know, we're trying to bring it back into modern parlance, but so I try. Number one, I try to avoid the word. Number two. Uh, we're in shifting times. We're we're still in a in a transition period. We're we're going from a time uh, really in uh, maybe a hundred and more years ago in in the United States where uh, you didn't really have to do apologetics. You didn't really have to give much in the way of reasons for your faith. 
The reason being, uh, even if people weren't Christians, they basically thought they were. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, they they all seem to uh, have some hold on the Christian view of the world. It's the lenses through which they saw the world. Um, things have shifted now, and people are much more aggressive in their skepticism of uh, you know of Christianity. And so they're much more in need of an answer. In fact, they're demanding answers, mm-hmm. and they don't think Christianity has answers. Uh, but it's in, so it's incumbent upon us to learn some good answers and pass those along to the people who ask. It's really going to be the only way we're going to be able to do effective evangelism, really, from now on. And so everybody's going to have to learn some of this. And that it's exactly why the Apostle Peter commanded us to do this. He said, you know, be prepared always to give an answer, a reason for the hope that you have. Yet do this with uh, reverence and respect. Uh, so it's, it's, it's one of our great callings to do this. But in the past, it wasn't as necessary. Uh, now it's becoming critical. Uh, secular culture is encroaching upon traditional Christian territory like never before. And they're taking great joy in asking questions of Christians who haven't studied these things and watching them uh, hem and haw and, and, and not really not do very well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time we ramp that back up. We've got the answers. There's just no doubt about that. But we've gotten a little bit rusty with being able to articulate them. And it seems to me uh, that, that apologetics is not some sort of intellectual pursuit or pointy-headed operation, you know, that people engage in. But it's, it's, it's a pastoral concern. It's helping people. It's helping answer the questions that truly do hold people back from seeing uh, the glory of Jesus Christ and what he can do for us. And do you know of any good places where people could go to learn how to answer those important questions that they might get so they can be confident and ready the next time they're presented with, with questions about Christianity? Oh, you sly dog. <laughs> Throwing me an easy question like that. Yeah, you said so I was I giving you hard one, so I thought I'd come back with an easy one. That's very nice. Well, <laughs> I happen to run a, a graduate program in Christian apologetics. It's a Master of Arts degree in this field where we offer reasons for faith in all disciplines, science, history, culture, you name it, and uh, we step up to the plate with that. And it's a, it's a natural Master of Arts degree. And because it's interdisciplinary, you can come into our program from any field. And so I hope your listeners take that very seriously. We'd love to see you do a Master of Arts degree in Christian apologetics. And you can do it from wherever you live. It's a uh, We offer a wonderful distance program that only requires a couple of visits to campus. And if you don't want a master's degree, because let's say you already have a doctorate or two and you're, you know, and your your husband won't let you go do another degree. You know, uh, we have a certificate program in apologetics and we've got all kinds of books and recordings of debates and lectures and wonderful ways to learn this material. So the warehouses are stocked full of great material. Yeah. And at Biola University, we can help get the best stuff into your hands. Absolutely. And, and uh, you also have a, a conference that you do, Biola on the Road. Is Are there some upcoming dates and locations that people could be aware of to go see some of the Biola apologetics professors there talking and discussing some important issues? Yeah, you bet. Uh, we've got our very next conference. If you, if you live in uh, 
live in the Las Vegas, Nevada area, we've got a conference on February 2nd and 3rd. And then we've got one in the, uh, the Sacramento, California area on February 9th and 11. And these are going to be barn burner events. I think you're really going to love them. So if you live in those regions, just just go to the Biola University website and you can get all the info. Very good. So <clears throat> last night I was sitting down talking with a friend and, and just kind of uh, the topic came up of of how do we engage kind of our culture of, you know, when we are talking about the pro-life issue with LGBT issues. Um, and so one of her questions that she asked me was, you know, what can just the average layman actually do? In even just getting the church interested in in these uh, topics, uh, recognizing the importance of training Christians to think critically about what's happening in our culture, um, what would you recommend to just the average layman who who doesn't have a big position of influence to go speak to thousands of people, or uh, what can they do to help build up the church in, in addressing these important issues? Let's see, what can the average lay person do about this stuff? Well. They can turn the world upside down is what they can do. Oh, my goodness. There's just no stopping people who really want to serve the Lord. Remember, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, ask for anything and you shall have it. Now, you might not be the mover and shaker in your church or your Christian community. But, hey, look, there are people who are movers and shakers. Get to know them. Show them the value of what you have. Read a book together on apologetics or Christian thought. Uh, read about what took place in second century Christianity when the the most thoughtful people uh, were were new Christians who applied their uh, their brilliant minds to questions of the faith and turned the world upside down. Uh, that's what you can do. And I hope people are really pumped about this. Now you got to start somewhere, and maybe uh, you really uh, uh, haven't read much in the way of. Uh, how to defend your faith, but there's great ways to start. Contact, contact us at Biola. We could put some great materials in your hands. But hey, my, my book, Five Sacred Crossings, is a great place to start. Uh, anything by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator, The Case for Miracles, which is his next book coming out, which is brilliant, by the way. All of those can really get the conversation started. And if... Uh, the leadership of your church or your community doesn't really think that this stuff is important. Sit down and read those books with them. Start a little study, and uh, they'll quickly see how relevant and uh, powerful this stuff is. Perfect. So when when they start to engage the world, uh, they're going to get objections. And so Stuart Smith wrote in on Facebook and had a question for you. He said, you know, what do you see as the biggest objection to Christianity in the United States, and how should Christians address it? Yeah. I get that. I get asked that quite a bit. And uh, uh, the, the, it's not really a specific question. It's a mindset. Right. It's a way the culture looks at Christianity. And uh, I think it's best summarized this way. The secular world or the skeptical world, the unbelieving world, they're, they're looking at Christians and, and honestly, all religious people uh, in a way that says, I know you have that religion. But we know something about religion. It has no knowledge. There's no knowledge content. Hmm. In other words, either believe it or you don't. Uh, religion, they think, consists of blind leaping. I mean, if you want to join a religion, you go out the edge of some religious cliff, you close your eyes and you jump. There's really no rational way to 
sort through the material and, and make choices about religion. Religion just isn't that kind of thing. So that's how they're looking at religion in general. And of course, Christianity is a specific example. And so if you're talking to a person at work, let's say you, let's say you, you were reading the Bible at lunch and you left a Bible on your desk at work and a coworker walks by and they see the Bible there. A typical conversation would go something like this. The guy will see the Bible and go, oh, the Bible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know you were a religious person. Ah, you know what? You know what? Good for you. Good for you. Now, that really gets me when they say good for you, because what they're saying is, um, yeah, I'm glad you had that Bible. You're probably the kind of person who needs that kind of stuff. I, on the other hand, am more of a scientific person. I really want hardcore knowledge, you know, where I'm heading. You know, I, I just want to I want to know stuff, not just believe stuff or blind leap into stuff. You see the problem? That is the major apologetic issue, is people view us as folks who do not have any knowledge content. Mm. So it turns out they're very surprised when we turn around and offer them evidence because they're not expecting it. And Christianity specializes in offering evidence to make the case uh, that there really is a God and that Jesus is his only son and the savior of the world. What would be some of the basic evidence? If, if someone is in that conversation uh, and someone says, you know, what is the evidence for Christianity? Are there maybe one, two, three kind of important pieces that, that someone should start with in understanding so that they can yeah, present to know, the person? Yeah, I, I hit them right between the eyes with the most important thing right away. And this is what the earliest church did, and that's uh, one reason they were able to turn the world upside down and, and get such an amazing uh, get such amazing traction for Christianity in the early days. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. So if they start the conversation, you know, they, they see the Bible on my desk, they give me a little harassment. I tell them, you know, uh, I got to tell you, I know you're thinking that I'm just blindly leaping into this. But I actually think that there is excellent reason to believe that Jesus was alive at point A, he was dead at point B, and was alive again at point C. I think we can know that, and I think the historical evidence is clear and compelling that that really happened. Oh my goodness, now the ball is completely in their court, uh, but it's all on your playing field, so... So now they're going to start asking specific questions about that. And honestly, if you read just a, a single book or maybe even a single article on evidence for the resurrection or hear a good lecture on it, you'll you'll be off and running. And I can guarantee this. They will have never heard anything like this before. Yeah. Yeah, that's happened many times to me, and and uh, as I mentioned it just at the very beginning of the show of of the guy asking the question of what I was reading when I was reading your book, uh, and immediately got into the evidence for the resurrection, and it's very difficult to get around it. Uh, he tried to kind of bring up uh, some of these theories, and you know, the body being stolen, and you know the body shipped off to Rome, and the disciples just lied, and and those are answered, and uh, and it's very powerful to really get someone to think about it, and then that. Evidence has implications on many other things. Uh, even this one guy mentioned how, you know, we can't know what happens after we die because no one has died and come back from the death to tell us about it. It's like, well, except for Jesus, you know, that he is God. He died, rose from the dead and told us what is going to happen in the end. And so that evidence is very powerful, as you mentioned. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty darn relevant for people, too. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. we're all going to die. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's a, the two great inevitabilities. We're all going to pay taxes and we're all going to die. At least we can solve the death problem. Uh, yes. Yeah, Jesus has he he actually wanted us to know that this happened. He left a, quite an amazing trail of evidence back through history, testifying, you know, how he did this and what he did, and so that we could know it today. And so, other religions just don't have that quality to them. They don't have that what I call testability. So uh, most religions, it is kind of a you either believe it or you don't. Christianity actually is set up to be tested to see if this is true. And that is a, a scientific texture that's very attractive to me. And that was actually going to be my next question, is do other religions that you've studied, uh, are they able to present similar qualities of evidential character, testable evidence to support their claims? Yeah, you know, uh, number one, people don't expect any religion to have any kind of evidence or good reasoning involved, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's just about how it works for you or how it feels for you. Uh, Christianity is different. In fact, I, you know, having done religious studies, I've had the opportunity to read some of the great religious texts from, you know, around the world and through history. And uh, I, I think that uh, there's a passage in the New Testament that I call one of the strangest passages in all of religious literature. You know, you're not going to find something like this in the Bhagavad Gita, the Buddhist Tripitaka, the Quran, or the Book of Mormon. It, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it really sets Christianity apart from the pack, in my view. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul, who claims to be an eyewitness of Jesus coming back from the dead, says, if Jesus did not come back from the dead, right? if, if there's no good reason to believe that that happened, uh, your faith is worthless. It's empty. It's futile. That is radical. You don't find those kinds of statements in other world religions. Uh, I think that's unique to Christianity, that it really does set itself up for testing. And as you can imagine, people in the days of the Apostle Paul, they could investigate this to find out if it's true. But so can we today. And there's been more written on this topic than you can possibly imagine uh, throughout all of history in, in all kinds of different languages. You could spend your entire life researching this because there's so much evidence to work with. Uh, and at the end of the day, you can make a decision based on the evidence as to whether Jesus, whether it's reasonable to believe that Jesus came back from the dead or not. Yeah. And that's unique in the in the whole spectrum of religious belief. And now one of the things that you just said uh, might seem overwhelming to those listening is that you said you could spend your entire life researching these topics, which is so true. Uh, so what would you recommend to the person who who wants to investigate this, but obviously doesn't have, you know, hundreds of years? You know, what how should they go about uh, looking into and studying other world religions? Should they even worry about that? Uh, or is there some basics that they can learn? How, how would you recommend to study other religions for those that can't go get a Ph.D. in comparative religions? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of lucky in that. I got a chance to sort through them all and think through them all. And uh, and it really did confirm my choice about being a Christian. Uh, but most people don't get an opportunity to do that. And uh, what, I sometimes give a lecture on uh, how why it makes perfect sense to start your religious journey or your religious search with Christianity, because it really does up front have the best things going for it. Uh, Number one, it's testable, so you can investigate it. And you certainly don't have to investigate it all your life. 
maybe it'll only take you a few hours to do a proper investigation. I think that's entirely possible given the resources we have. Maybe it'll take you a whole week. Maybe it'll take you seven years. But in principle, it's investigatable. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So Christianity is a standout in that regard. Other religions really can't be tested. Some are very upfront about this, like Zen Buddhism. There's no, there's no objective research testing to find out whether Zen Buddhism is true. It's all about the experience of the Zen Buddhist. Some religions sound like they're testable, but when you really poke around, you discover they're really not. Uh, I, th- I think Mormonism falls into this category, for instance. Uh, Mormons claim all kinds of historical realities, you know, ancient civilizations, whose exploits were recorded on gold plates and all this. And, and all of it is, in principle, investigatable. But once a person actually looks to, to investigate those things, it falls completely flat. There's not a single thing confirmed. And so, uh, and, and I think the Mormons know this, so they step back at a particular point and just talk about their experience they've had uh, that Mormonism is true. And so it sounds like it's about investigation, but then when you push a little bit, it turns out it's really about a person's inner feelings. So I think Christianity really does stand out in that regard. Yeah, it has the evidence on its side and and questions can be answered. And so hopefully for those listening that as you uh, investigate, you can start getting into those conversations with people. And when they ask questions about other religions that you may not know about, that's when you can just say, hey, I'm not quite sure. I don't know the answer. But uh, then you can go into further study without having to get a Ph.D. first and and uh, learn as you go. Well, we are out of time already. Um, and so, Dr. Hazen, thank you so much for coming on and, and helping people maybe get a start in apologetics and, and understanding what it is, why it's important, and, and why Christianity really is true. Yeah, Ryan. Hey, thanks. You did a great job. I, you, you should be on regular radio. <clears throat> Too bad radio's dying, huh? Yeah, um, well, thank you. Yeah, I think you're a good host and a good interviewer. And thank you. Surprised. I appreciate you're it. You're one of our star students and soon to be one of our star graduates. So uh, keep up the great work. I really appreciate it. It's been an incredible experience being in the program, learned so much, been able to connect with awesome people. And so I want to encourage those that are listening to go out and do that. Uh, check out uh, the Biola program. Check out the conferences coming up in Vegas and up in Sacramento. Uh, get the five sacred crossings and, and connect with what Dr. Hazen is doing. And for uh, and as we close up, again, just want to encourage you guys. Um, you know, at the end of the year, I'm not asking for money. I, I'm not accepting donations. I just want to ask you guys that. Go over to iTunes, uh, give it a rate, rate the Facebook page, and and so share the posts and with your friends and family. So hopefully this message can get out to more people. And so thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week and a blessed day. This is Ryan Polly with Coffee House Questions. Your love will guide my.